Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. What a joy to be back with you again today. Looking for an informative, failed podcast with you once again as we look at prospecting for business and why the old skills, old school still works. Logan Hartle is an industrial real estate broker and investor. He achieved his industrial engineering degree from West Virginia University. After school, he spent 10 years in manufacturing. The last five years of that tenure, he owned his own manufacturing company. Since selling his manufacturing company, he has been helping investors buy and sell industrial real estate properties. So, Logan, take us into the program and share a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the introduction and excited to be here. So, yeah, a memorable experience that's helped me to get where I am today. My mother and father always owned rental properties growing up. And so, you know, that's that's always real estate's always been in, in my veins. But growing up, we always had to go help paint and tear out carpets and things like that. It was such a pain growing up being a kid having to go do that on a Saturday or a Tuesday night. But I'm so thankful for it because it taught us hard work and be it taught us how to, you know, my initial start in real estate was in the residential side. So it taught me a lot about the remodeling of houses and in the maintenance side of houses and what all goes into that process. So I was very well suited, I think, to not only work hard as I grew up, but also you know have a little bit of an understanding of the not so fun part of real estate before you <laughs> jump into it. So yeah. Yeah, learning it from the ground up at a very young and early age. Not many of us have had that opportunity. So great introduction to the business. Some people who grow up that way are just totally and completely turned off by that. But fortunately, you were not. At least you found your way back to it. Yeah. Well, let's get into this aspect of prospecting, as we talked about just a little bit before we got on the show here. Uh, we're in the midst of starting some marketing campaigns. And so it's a uh, Good issue for me today. I know our audience will appreciate it too, but what is prospecting? So prospecting is essentially, you know, you're reaching out and trying to find contacts. You're trying to make contacts with potential business opportunities. That's the easiest way to put it. Well, there are different ways to go about that. So talk to us about these different ways of prospecting and which have you found to be the most fruitful? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of new modern methods for prospecting. There's automated text message campaigns, there's ringless voicemail, there's a lot of these things that are out there now for, for outbound prospecting. So, prospecting, I look at as outbound. You're reaching out, you're actively reaching out to the market as opposed to, you know, marketing and advertising. You're putting something out there and it's coming back to you, right? So, I like to fish. So, and if anybody likes to go fishing, if you're a fisherman, you probably understand it's kind of the difference between cat fishing and bass fishing. And in bass fishing, you're, you're changing lures, you're constantly trying new spots and you're constantly in motion, trying to find things. In catfishing, you're putting some bait out there and you're waiting for something to come along. And it's kind of that way with marketing prospecting. So in prospecting, it's all outward. You're moving, you're constantly going. So what I've found the most effective for me personally is both the cold calling and emailing. Cold calling is old school, right? It's the old school way of picking up the phone and talking to people. It's it's as old school as it gets without going door to door and knocking on people's doors. But I've found it to be quite effective, you know, especially in the groups that I call upon. You know, a lot of them are working from an office or they're working from a manufacturing facility. And as I'm calling, you know, they oftentimes are going to be in, in their office or maybe they're out in the plant and I can leave a voicemail and follow back up. But I do a lot of cold calling. 
And I do a lot of email blasts as well. So emailing is something that I've found effective, especially when I'm dealing in a professional environment. You can typically find email addresses for these folks at their business. And a lot of them, that's an easier way to get between those two. Some of them are at their office most of the time. And you know, you may be able to get them on the phone. Some of them might be out and about, whether they're a salesperson or they're, you know, you're typically trying to get a hold of the owner or the decision maker. Maybe they're in meetings, so on and so forth. So sometimes email is easier because you can blast out an email and they'll get to it when they get back to their desk. But those are the two that I've found the most effective for myself personally. I have people I've worked with who really like text messaging. I have people I work with who like various different methods, direct mail. For me personally, the cold call and the email have been my best, most fruitful efforts. Well, that is interesting. And it kind of contradicts some of the other information I've heard. But you're finding that email blasts are working and you're saying that the best address is their business address rather than their personal address. Is that correct? Depends on on who it is. So, you know, I call on two different groups of people. Mainly I'm calling on, I focus a lot on sale leasebacks, which is something that essentially the business owns the business and they also own the building. And when they go to sell the building, they're going to lease the building back from whoever's buying it. You know, maybe they're going to cash out and they're going to put that money back into the business because, you know, the million dollars of that real estate can go a lot farther in their business than it is by just sticking there in the building. So that's one group that I call on. And most of those are professionals who are in the office or they're at that business. And so calling on their personal emails sometimes can get a little bit, they can get a little frustrated if you're calling their personal numbers or or their emails. So I always find it a little bit easier to have that conversation in that professional setting. When you're dealing with the investors who own properties as investment properties that may want to trade them, I think it's more common and I think they're more used to receiving you know, calls and conversations to their personal emails. So I kind of try to separate those two out like that. Well, that is interesting. No one's ever told me this, but just intuitively, I thought that probably personal emails would would get a better response. But I can see in the situations you're looking at, the certainly the industrial emails They're going to be getting those during the business day and not during the evenings when they're trying to enjoy their their family life and what have you. Yeah. And also the text, I'm wondering about uh, text uh, blasts. I would think just kind of, if you got into this three, four years ago, there were very, very few text messages being blasted out. And I could see it could have been very, very effective at that point in time. But I'm suspecting the effectiveness of that is declining with the mass number of people who are blasting out text messages. And it's very easy to just delete text messages without even a second glance. So I'm wondering if if they have the same effectiveness that they probably had three or four years ago. Yeah, I think it's with any marketing. It's how do you stand out, right? So when I'm cold calling someone or sending an email, or if I would just text somebody, I want it to come across as conversational as possible, right? So if I'm sending a text that's, hi, it's Logan Hartle from you know XYZ, and we're going to go after that. It, if it sounds salesy, then I think it's going to come across as salesy. And you know, buy now for 20% off type of stuff. But if it's you know conversational, hey, I know this is kind of out of the blue. Sorry about that. But I'm just reaching out to see if you still own 123 Main Street. If so, could we have a conversation? And that probably is a better way to go about it. And that's what I typically try to do in all of my interactions is to be as human as possible and to be as, you know, try to craft those messages, whether it is an email blast or I'm just dialing. I try to be as human as possible and as take the salesy aspect out of it as much as possible. Yeah. So give me that example once again. How do you start that conversation? Yeah. So in a cold call setting, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So typically in a cold call setting, let's say I'm calling on a sale leaseback scenario or, or an investor. Let's go with an investor. One of the things I like to do is I always like to offer some sort of value up front. So I'll start with an introduction and I'll go into it. So I'll, I'll just role play here for a second. So I'll say, 
ring, ring. Hey, is this John? Hey, John, this is Logan Hartle. I know I'm calling you out of the blue here, so I apologize for that. But just reaching out to see, do you still own 123 Main Street? Okay, you do? Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, I, I get, I know I'm reaching out of the blue. So if this isn't a good time to talk, then I can call you back later. But if now's a good time to talk, and typically they'll say yes or no, and if they say no, then call them back later. But if they say yes, then I'll, I'll go into say, you know, I'm just reaching out to see, is your company still acquiring assets like that property? And almost every investor is going to want to say, well, yeah, absolutely we are. It's mm-hmm. now another lead source. And I can go into, you know, well, if you don't mind sharing, what would your criteria be for what you're looking for? And almost every one of them willing to share that as well. You know, me, when I'm looking for investment properties, you as well, you know, why not have that conversation? It could be another lead source. And then they'll go through and they'll share it. Now I'm getting them talking. We're on the phone. We're having a conversation. It's a much easier intro than just saying, hey, do you want to sell that property? You know, that can be standoffish. So, but what I like to do is then I'll transition. We'll typically have conversation about the market general, things like that. I'll try to provide as much value as I can. And I'll say, you know, if you do buy this new property, that your ideal property that you've mentioned, do you have to sell anything to maybe 1031 into that? Are you looking to get rid of anything before you buy this property? Or is there anything that maybe just doesn't fit your portfolio anymore? You know, Now you're going after all 50 to 100 unit buildings and you want to sell off a few 12 units. Is there anything like that in your portfolio? And usually sometimes we'll say, no, no, not really. We're not really selling. It's like, okay, nothing that's super high vacancy that you're not really interested in. Se- or that's kind of a pain in the butt. No, no, not really. Okay. Nothing that's like in an area where you know, you don't really have property management and you're trying to get, and I'll ask a few more follow-up questions. And sometimes they'll say, well, you know what, there is that one property out there and so-and-so in it. It'll kind of evolve that way. The conversation mm-hmm. kind of evolves that way. And, and I always try to teach to ask follow-up questions, ask follow-up questions. And, and just, because sometimes you're on the phone and your immediate response is no, because you just want to get off the phone. But, you know, you might pique something in their interest. So, you know what, I have been thinking about getting rid of that property that's an hour from my house or two hours from my house and they might bring it up. So I've had that happen several times. Yeah. A wonderful scale set you have developed there. How long did it take you to actually develop that into an effective plan there? You know, I've been fine-tuning it for a while now, throughout the past you know year, year and a half. But probably in the first six months, you know, you take your lumps, you're going to get on the phone with somebody and you're going to stumble over your words. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be nervous and you're going to be scared to, to pick up the phone. And as you go through it, it's, just, it's repetition, right? It's like working out. It's like riding a bike. Once you get used to it, then you know, and, and it flows a lot easier. You know, it helps to know know your stuff, right? Know what you're talking about and know that what you're offering is helpful. What you're offering is potentially helpful for them. So that kind of helps take a little bit of the nerves off. But I always recommend to people, just like if you've never worked out before and you're just now starting to go back to the gym, if you work out for three hours straight the first day, you're going to be so sore and you're never going to go back because it's going to be, I don't want to do this again. So just like going to the gym for the first time, go for 10 minutes. And then the next day, go for 10 minutes. And then maybe next week, you start going for 15 minutes. And then you slowly, incrementally work your way back in there. So it's not uncommon for me to sit down and I'll be able to pound out 50 dials in a half hour. But for someone just getting started, maybe start with like three or four, right? And then just to get over that and then keep going, keep going and building up. Because more often than not, you're going to be talking to wrong numbers and voicemails more more so than you're going to be talking to actual people when you make these calls. You know, if I make 50 phone calls, I might talk to three people and that's just kind of how it goes in the nature of the game. Yeah, I would think that. I mean, not many people answer their phones these days. I don't answer mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would expect you're going to be talking to, to voicemails. Do you get many callbacks? We do. We do. Yeah. Sometimes when people are interested, you know, right away, they'll call back. Sometimes it takes four or five times of calling them for them to call back, you know, and maybe it's not that they weren't interested the first time. It's just, they're busy. You know, people are busy and I've had it happen where somebody called me the third time and I'm like, Oh, 
man, I actually did want to call them. I forgot to do that. And so, yeah, I use a CRM to follow up. So I like to use a CRM to make sure I've got that built in, that follow-up mm-hmm. built in so I can continue to do so. And I, I can't count how many times I've got a listing right now. And I've probably called the gentleman seven or eight times over a three-month stretch, sent him three letters and probably sent him eight emails before it finally happened. And nowhere along that line was he frustrated with me because he knew eventually he was going to sell this building. But just you had to stay in front of him, you know, I had to mm-hmm. stay in front and he's a busy guy. And so eventually we won the business. So that's follow up is key with any prospecting method you're going to do. Follow up is key. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you call on the very first <laughs> one. They said, yeah, come out and do a meeting. Let's go. But, you know, more often than not, it's in the follow up. For sure. Did you mind sharing what CRM you use? Yeah. So I'm messing with a few right now. So I, I'm using Zoho CRM right now and I'm looking into PipeDrive, one called PipeDrive just seems a little bit more user-friendly and you know that at least that's their claim to fame. So I'm going to, I've not played around with that yet. So I'm going to mess with that. Logan, you got a lot of experience and expertise in conjunction with marketing and have shared some good thoughts and ideas with us. Share with our audience how it is they can get in touch with you to take advantage of what you have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. So you can reach me a lot of different ways. You can reach me directly my personal email, you know, Logan Hartle, the number one at gmail.com. That's my personal email. Feel free to reach out. I'm an open book. You know, you can reach my business webpage at the hartlegroup.com, T-H-E, and then my name, hartlegroup.com. You can, uh, we have a podcast as well called the True Commercial Real Estate Podcast. You can check that out and find us there. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm always trying to provide knowledge and insights to what we do in the commercial real estate space. Logan, any kind of marketing is really quite grueling in for any number of reasons. Certainly the aspect of there is much, 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 much more rejection than there is acceptance. Like you just sure. mentioned, you this one opportunity you've just come across, you left six, seven, eight or so contacts through various different sources and before you finally got that. And I'm sure there's many other examples of double that number of contacts before getting the lead there. Logan, how is it that you are able to continue to stay with this day after day after day? Yeah. You know, we're all human and you're going to have days that are worse than others. You know, you're going to have days where you're the next day, you're like, I do not want to pick up the phone. I do not want to send out another email. And, And it's learning to fight through that. It's like anything as you build your muscles in that area, as you build your cold calling muscles or prospecting muscles, it becomes easier to face rejection. And the worst possible thing is when someone's just starting out and they're nervous and the first or second call they get yelled at. And it's, you know, you just have to understand that that's going to happen sometimes. It's not a reflection on you. It's probably more a reflection on what that person's going through that day. You know, they may just be having a bad day or maybe you're their hundredth person that's called them. I've told people that. I said, hey, sorry, I'm calling you out of the blue. I'm sure you get a million phone calls a day. So I don't want to take too much of your time. I'll be pretty quick if this is, makes sense. And sometimes that helps. You know, I, I'll mm-hmm. even put that in emails sometimes. You know, hey, I'm sure you've had emails from a hundred different brokers and investors. So I apologize for being hundred and first, but it definitely is grueling. You know, Jeb Blunt has a quote and I hope I don't butcher it, but it's prospecting is the price you pay for having a high performance career or something along those lines. And it, it is, it's grueling work sometimes, but sometimes it's really fun. I mean, there's nothing quite like picking up the phone and calling somebody and having a plan and it works and they invite you out and then you end up getting a deal done. It's like, holy cow, you know, you get one <laughs> of those and you're riding that high and it gets you through all the bad stuff that people, the no answers and the, the rejections. So I think it's like anything else, you know, you're never going to bat a thousand. You're never going to step up to the plate and hit a home run every time in anything you're doing. So it's just building that muscle in this arena. So specifically, when you're talking about filling the pipeline, what is that? 
Yeah. So filling the pipeline is there's going to be different deal stages, right? So no matter what you're doing, there's various different deal stages. So I'm going to have a prospect that's just, you know, I've, I like this area. I like this type of property. I want to go after this. Investors have told me they want this type of property. So now they're in that prospect stage. And then I'm going to be calling, calling, calling. You know, I might get some that say, come out tomorrow and give me a, an estimate of what my property could sell for. And they might move a few stages in the future to that stage where we're underwriting the property and giving them, you know, a broker opinion of value. Now there are some stages in between there. You know, maybe someone says, you know what, I'm kind of interested, but follow up in three months. Now they're in that bucket. And there's these little buckets, right? And each of these little buckets contains a different stage of the deal that someone might potentially be in. So that's the pipeline we're trying to fill up. We're trying to fill that pipeline up. And it all starts with the beginning, that prospecting, whether your leads are coming in from outward prospecting or inbound marketing, you know, you're trying to fill up that prospect bucket because you're going to have a lot more in there than you are close deals at the end of the day. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So fill the pipeline so that you can eventually have closed deals that are actually working. Yep. Logan, how do we go about developing these habit-based goals? Yeah. So I have become a huge, huge proponent of not focusing on my end goals but focusing on my day-to-day habits. Once you have your goal, whatever that is, I want to make a million dollars a year, I want to make $100,000 a year, or I want to buy 10 properties, whatever that is, you have to break that down. And this takes time, but you have to break that down from, okay, if I'm going to get there, what's that look like? And maybe that's a five-year goal. What's that look like in three years? What's that look like in one year? What does that mean for me this quarter? And then what do I have to do day in and day out to make this happen? You know, there's a lot of different books out there and, and programs out there for you know the 12-week year or 90-day sprints of trying to get these things done this quarter. But really, when it comes to things like prospecting, it really is about building those daily habits. So for me, I have it broken down for, okay, if I want to make a million dollars a year, you know, five years from now, what does that look like? on a daily basis? And how many cold calls do I need to make on a daily basis? How many emails do I need to send? How many prospecting outreaches on LinkedIn potentially do I need to make to translate that up to that million dollars a year or whatever? So that's really a developing the habit of that starts with knowing what your end goal is, but then focusing on those habits as opposed to the end goal. Because if you're familiar with the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, talks about lead and lag goals. And lag goals are behind you, right? How much did I sell last month? It might be good, it might be bad, but it doesn't really matter because there's nothing you can do about it at that point. Lead goals are things that you can actually act upon. I want to call this many people. I want to send out this many pieces of marketing material. I want to spend this much on my ad campaign. Like Those are things you can actually physically do. And when you focus on those on a daily basis, the end goal takes care of itself. Right. And that's where I've tried to build my days and and structure Mm -hmm. my days and my weeks around that. So I'll time block for those things, specifically knowing if I hit these habits, Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe a random Tuesday, three months in the future, I finally have a breakthrough. But unless I build these habits, it's never going to happen. Logan, that's absolutely correct. We have to develop those habits. Even once you have charted this out, like you just did for us, breaking the five-year down to three-year and then one-year and monthly and weekly, daily goals, where do you get the discipline to stay with that? Well, it's hard to, honestly, it is. Certain days, I feel like it's certain days I don't. You know, there's time when I slip up. And one thing I do is I have a a scorecard, right? So I've got a, how many calls am I going to make this week? How many this and this and this? And I can see my score as I go throughout the week. I log that every single day and I can see 
you know, if it's a Thursday and I'm at 40%, I didn't do very good this week. I better hustle on Friday. And so that's one way to help keep me motivated. For me, I like the swallow the frog mentality of the first thing in the morning, I'm going to get this stuff done that I really don't want to do. You know, if you put that off to the end of the day, it's always easier to put things ahead of that thing that you really don't want to do. And assuming it can be done, you know, if it's a meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon, there's really nothing you could do. But if it's something where you've got time and you can time block it, I like to time block my cold calling from nine o'clock in the morning to like 11 o'clock. And I mm-hmm. set that aside. I don't want to schedule meetings for that. That is my prospecting time for cold calling and LinkedIn. It's like, because I want to get done be done with it. And then I can move on with my day. And there's this sigh of relief when that's done every day. But it's one thing that I've tried to program for myself. I've tried to keep that as like a sacred hour or two that, you know, I don't take meetings. I don't, you know, do coffee. I try to keep it to that to help keep me motivated. And that that's one way you can do it and build that discipline. Because if you have to think every single day, what am I going to do today? How am I going to, what do I need to do today? It's very easy to let the hard things go till tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But if you take the time to time block your week out, you know, like that, I'm going to do this from nine to 11. I'm going to do this from 11 to 12. I'm going to do this every day from one to two. It becomes much easier to build that repetition. And one of the quotes I love, and it's from a book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. I think it's James Clear. There's a story in there where he's talking about a trainer who trained some of the elite athletes, you know, of the world. And he was asked, you know, what's the difference between these really, really good athletes and the greats, the ones that just transcend? The comment he made was that the greats are willing to withstand the monotony of success. And it's like, well, that's kind of weird. The monotony of success. You know, you see these guys holding the Super Bowl trophy, it doesn't feel very monotonous, but he said the monotony is day in and day out, they're doing the same routine over and over and over and over again. That most people, you know, once they get to the point, you know, think about you're on a basketball court and you're shooting a thousand shots and you made 90%. The next day you get a little bit bored. So you make, you do 500, you make 90%. Okay. Well, I still at 90. Now I'm going to do 100. Now I'm going to do 10. Well, as you lose that discipline, eventually it's going to catch up to you. And, And these greats are able to go day in and day out and shoot the thousand shots or do the same routine over and over and over again that becomes monotonous because they realize that's what's necessary for their success. And some days they don't want to do it and some days they do, but either way, whether they want to or not, they do it. And so I've tried to adopt that as best I possibly can. You know, I'm not standing here saying I'm a perfect person and, and do it every single day, but you know, it's kind of that true north that I kind of keep trying to guide myself back to. I know this is the type of person I want to be when I'm at work. And so when I do slack off or I do get off track, I at least have that guiding point to say, this is the schedule that you said you'd keep and you want to keep. Let's get back to it. Another excellent book is Grit by Angela Duckworth. It's an academic exploration, actually, and and she goes into this difference between talent and actual grit. And uh, she's done massive studies on this. And grit wins out all the time over mm-hmm. natural talent. So if you aren't naturally talented, I think that's a really positive message to remember that it, the grit is going to win against natural talent. Absolutely. Logan, it's been wonderful having you today, Enlightened Investors. It's been another enlightening program. I know you gained a lot. I certainly have. Thanks for being with us. I look forward to seeing you next time. Logan, it's been wonderful. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Seed Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. 
As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Speed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Speed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at speedtalker.com.